Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have Jonathan Asley on the show. Jonathan is the author of What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway?, founder of the Midlife Mastery and a successful dating coach that specializes in midlife and purposeful dating, and the podcast host of What Would Love Do? But his mission has gone through a makeover. So welcome, Jonathan. A few things to talk about before we get started with today's episode. If you have not subscribed to my newsletter yet, I have some exciting things coming out in the next weeks, months, unclear how long it's going to take me to get it together, but there will be some stuff coming out and I don't want you to miss it. So head on over to dramyrobbins.com and subscribe to my newsletter. And I also wanted to tell everybody about an amazing opportunity with IANS. IANS is the International Association for near-death studies, and their 2020 conference is online. This year's theme is Unlocking the Healing Wisdom of NDEs, and the program is packed to the brim with fantastic speakers and experts to guide newcomers and seasoned experiencers alike through the mysterious worlds of near-death experiences, spirits, and the afterlife. This conference, again, is online via Zoom, August 14th to 16th, and you can visit IANS.org for more info. That is I-A-N-D-S. And many of the speakers who have been on this show in the past are also members of IANS. It's an amazing organization that really promotes the work, so much of the work that I'm doing on this show in terms of bringing to light many people's spiritual experiences and spiritually transformative experiences. So head on over and check that out. And now to today's show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I love talking to doctors and therapists. <laughs> I'll be candid with you. So people are probably wondering why I have a dating and relationship coach on my podcast. But tell us what propelled you through this makeover, because I think that that's really the piece that my listeners will resonate with. Yeah. So I recognized, so as a dating relationship coach, and I specialize in midlife, which is what I call after baby making years and before retirement. Although what's interesting is a lot of 20 and 30 year olds are now seeking my help as well, which feels great. Um, I recognized that the dating and relationships trigger are one of the top triggers for the number one emotional health issue most humans face. And that is, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm not likable. And nothing triggers that like dating and relationships, at least in my purview. And so I started to blog about self-love um, and just started to write blogs on it. And about a couple months later, Sometimes this is hard to say. Mm -hmm. um, I lost my 19-year-old son to an accident. And I was at his funeral giving the eulogy. And I stopped right in the middle. And I looked at all of his friends and his family and my friends and my family. I said, look, everyone, I'm making a conscious choice here. I'm not going to grieve through pain and suffering. I'm going to grieve through love. And what I meant by that is I didn't mean I'm not going to allow myself to experience the pain, 
and and uh, whether it's depression or anxiety or all the different levels you go through, and I forget the five stages or six stages off the top of my head, I want to lean into love. So today I want us to all lean into love right now. And two months after he passed, I just started to write, I, I started, I just felt so compelled. It was almost like he was speaking to me. It was like he was saying, you've got to write a book about self-love. You've got to write a book. I mean, it was like screaming at me. And I was actually a third of the way into another book. I was writing a whole other book on dating a relationship, but I pivoted, I stopped, put fingers to the, the typewriter, so to speak. And nine months later, I birthed a book called What the Heck is Self-Love Anyways. I published it on Amazon. I got number one ranking within the first day. I was all excited. And it was a combination of my experience of leaning into love through the experience of loss, along with recognition that most humans' core wound inside of them is a lack of loving themselves. And I'm just giving, I could go on and on, but that's the cliff note version of it. So when you were standing there giving that eulogy, did that piece just come over you? I mean, because I don't want to imagine the depths of that pain, right? People say, I can't imagine. It's just not that they can't. It's that they don't want to. Exactly. Um, (laughs) There's there's so many feelings and there's so many ways you can go when you lose a child. Yeah. A lot of people go to anger and kind of, like you said, go down this rabbit hole where they can't get themselves out of. But it sounds like you were really able to shift that maybe with his guidance. You know, well, so what's interesting, speaking of his guidance, so the day after he passed, or the day he had passed and I was coming home to my complex, I see this yellow butterfly fly right by me. And and where I live, there's this like vegetation and waterfall kind of, you know, you feel like you're at a Four Seasons resort where I live. And I just saw this yellow butterfly and I didn't think much of it. And then I was walking out of my complex the next morning and this yellow butterfly is following me. And then the next day, so this is day one, day two, day three, I live on the third story of a three-story complex. And this yellow, I don't know if it's the same yellow butterfly, but it was literally dancing in front of my balcony. Hmm. And I live at the ocean. So, I mean, it's windy. And I thought, how the heck did it get this high? And I knew in that moment that was him speaking to me. Mm -hmm. I knew he was reaching out to me. And from that moment on, I knew he was wrapping me with a blanket of love. And so I, I quickly, I was able to fully accept his loss fairly quickly. Um, and there's some personal things that I don't necessarily want to share with your audience that relates Absolutely. to him. Sure. And it's more for his, I mean, understanding his dynamic. But I was able to accept it fairly quickly. And I think that allowed me to move through the stages much quickly. That doesn't mean I wasn't experiencing the pain. The pain is there. The pain is still there. It's his two-year anniversary of the, his passing is next week. The pain is there, but I, I chose not to suffer. And what I mean to say, and I'm differentiating this because I go, I'm going to choose to love. How can I love through this experience? And I don't have the answers. I, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't have the answers in per se. I can't describe it, but I know I'm feeling it. Mm-hmm. And the book was just an extension of love because now I'll be candid with you. Do you go by Dr. Amy? Is that okay? You can call me Amy. Okay, okay Amy. It doesn't. Uh, 
I had been doing, you know, the book is actually a journey of personal development, self-help and spiritual work. And I had been doing a lot of personal development, self-help and spiritual work prior to his passing. And I believe that was a vaccination to emotional chaos. Mm. Let's say that again. I felt like it was a vaccination to emotional chaos because when he passed, I was prepared. And I think that work, that's so beautifully said. I love that because I think that the work we do when we're not in crisis is the vaccination to emotional chaos. It's like when things then get too much for us, we're already prepared for it in some way. We're never fully prepared, but we're more prepared than we would have been if we had done nothing. It's sort of like you're not going to go out and run a marathon without ever having trained for it, right? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Now, now the catalyst for my personal development work was the period of my life where I lost my I, I got divorced, lost my quarter million dollar a year job and lost a seven figure net worth all within two years. And I was in the di- pits of despair going to bed, wishing I didn't wake up for, for six months. So, and I had done no personal development work to that point. So that mm-hmm. now that became the catalyst to do the work later, but I was there, I was in the pit of despair and it was a, a you know, a really nightmare place to be. That's why I'm such a big proponent of doing work ahead of time, because we are going to always have crisis in our life. You know, we, we just had a pandemic that set us into or we're still in the midst of it. Yeah. Uh, but so you know, anyway, you go get ahead. Sorry. No. So so what how do you define self-love? So some people get turned off by the term self-love. So let me define it the way I kind of wrote it in the book is self-love is self-worth self-reliance, self-confidence, self-esteem, self-respect, all those self words are wrapped together into the word love. And because love is the most powerful force in the universe, believe it or not. I mean, I know it's unseen, we can't touch it or feel it, but it exists. It's a powerful energetic force. But self-love is also nurturing the little kid inside of us because there's an Mm -hmm. adult and then there's the child. And oftentimes we're in a lot of, you're a therapist, so you know, there's a lot of conflict between the little kid inside of us that's hurt and wounded and the adult. So the adult has to put the oxygen mask on themselves first on the airplane before they can take care of a little child. And self-love is the oxygen that you feed so you can take care of that little child inside yourself. And I I love that. I was actually just talking about this yesterday. Um, that as we grow up, we tend to lose the playfulness of childhood, the playfulness of being curious and interested. And, and, and I think that when we lose that, we lose the ability to learn to appreciate the parts of ourself, ourselves where we cannot love something, right? Like we can mm. engage in something and be like, yeah, not interested in that. Or, oh my God, this really lights me up. And I think when we lose finding the things that light us up, we lose falling in love with ourselves in that way. You know, it's interesting as you're sharing this with me, I, I was just reminded of when my mother, my mother told me at age five, I would dress in a suit and walk around with a briefcase. <laughs> like I, I couldn't wait to grow up. I graduated college on a Wednesday and I already had a job lined up for the following Monday and I worked, you know, solid, 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 solid. Whereas my younger brother, 
you know, he graduated college. He did the Euro, you know, he traveled Europe for a year. He was a vagabond. He lived in hostels and he experienced life. And I was immediately had to go to work. And the, and the interesting contrast was when I lost my job, my identity was gone. So to piggyback on what you're saying is I never allowed my little kid to, not, when I say little kid, I don't mean the irresponsible part of you. It's that playful, curious part of you to navigate life. And so I'd say the last decade, I've purely operated from a place of curiosity. Partially because here's the other truth I learned. By the way, I learned this when my son passed. First off, there is nothing guaranteed. You learn that really quickly when someone you care about passes away. Not, and by the way, the coincidence was, not coincidence, my mother passed away six months before my son. Mm. So I not only got hit once, wow. I got hit twice. But she lived a good life. She was 88 years old. She traveled the world. She had grandchildren. She lived a full life. So her passing, while sad to me, didn't hit me nearly. Look at your... When your son is 19, you expect them to live, you know, outlive you. Mm-hmm. And each day is a gift. Each day is a gift. And so I'm operating from that premise, which is also, it's not so much little kid. It's, 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 it's actually appreciation. I operate more from appreciation than I do taking for granted. So that actually leads me perfectly. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Into what might have been my, so you, the way you break down the book is you talk about each chapter is sort of a different perspective on self-love. And I think my, my favorite one was, if you have kids, turn down this right now. Um, Stop fucking complaining. (laughs) And you said, and this resonated with me so strongly because I do, I do really firmly believe in this. And I think it kind of, pisses people off sometimes is venting is empowered problem solving. Complaining is asking someone to confirm our victimhood. Did I say that? You did. I think you did. You wrote it. No, I did. I did. No, Uh, you know, it's interesting because I've observed here in the United States in particular, the vast significant portion of the population is sucking on the nipple of victimhood, victim consciousness. And I don't mean And and I don't want to discount anyone who's been physically involved in that or even emotionally involved in that. I'm talking about their consciousness. In other words, I it's pointing the finger at someone else for your problems. And to me, that's what complaining does. Some people do it in a pseudo way that they think it's like, especially on social media. You know, they're but you you can tell they're vomiting their problems. And whereas venting, think of venting like a volcano. It has vents. So it doesn't, you know, it spews out energy so it doesn't erupt. So we have to vent out that, that static part of us or that stuck part of us. We don't have to do anything. This is an invitation, I should say. But my invitation is to vent that stuff through a healthy processing system. And sadly, most people complain. And how does that lead to more self-love? venting versus complaining. I think it's, you know, simply put empowerment versus stuck. You know, people who complain are stuck. They're not saying, how am I going to overcome this? You know, sadly, most people think things happen to them instead of for them. In my book, I talked about Mm -hmm. this as well. Things happen for you. Yes, my son passed away. Did it happen to me? 
actually know it happened to him, to be honest. I mean, if anything, it really happened to him. The experience from it, I can choose how to view that. I can choose to be a victim. And by the way, no one would have begrudged me if for the next year or two, I was in absolute depression through this experience because they go, you know what? You get a pass, you lose a kid. But that's, I didn't choose to do that. I could have. Mm-hmm. And some people think it's not a choice. I think we have empowerment within us, every opportunity to make a choice. We can either choose empowerment or we can choose victimhood. And I prefer empowerment. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you're right. There would have been people who would have given you that space but to be miserable and depressed and withdraw and just grieve and feel sad. And I think to your point, like you still feel those things. You still feel sadness. It's just not where you've taken up permanent residence. Yes, exactly. I will say that the time I most get to the greatest healing from this experience tends to be when my ex-wife and I get on the phone for some reason or another. And then we go down memory lane with Connor We first kind of go down a memory lane and then we cry and then we kind of reflect and then we process the acceptance of it. And usually a five minute conversations will be two and a half hours between us because we, Mm. it's because she is the only other person in my world that knows exactly how I could be feeling. Mm-hmm. I say the word could be because I can't speak for her. I can only speak for myself, but I feel like we're the only two that get it at this level. So even though she's an ex, we still, we have this bond together and now we process our feelings on a regular basis in a, in a healthy way. By, like I said, going down memory lane first and kind of reliving, like, you know, it was his birthday recently and I invited the whole family, including my ex, so we could celebrate his 21st birthday. But that's like one of the best things I've been able to do too. And she's thankfully also in a place of acceptance. So it helps, it makes it easier for both of us. Not everybody gets the benefit that I have. Mm-hmm. And did you both move towards the acceptance? Fairly yeah, quickly? we moved, to, surprisingly, we moved at it really quickly because it wasn't, first off, it wasn't, uh, you know, nobody did it to him. Um, I guess I'll, I'll explain what happened was he had taken a Xanax that was tainted with fentanyl. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now, I don't know for certain, but it's possible he knew it. He was just experimenting. So like a lot of kids his age, he was experimenting with drugs and I have no judgment over that. Um, a lot of kids his age do it. I did it at that age. So, um, and he wasn't a, you know, it wasn't like a habitual thing or an overdose kind of thing. It was an accident. So there was no one to blame. If anything, we blame him. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, and I will never, so the reason why it was easy to accept, I will not blame him for his choice because he's a young, you know, he's experimenting with life. That's what life is. We make, we experiment and we try things and we fail and we fall. And sometimes the worst thing happens. So I, it made it easy because I didn't blame a, uh, a drunk driver. I didn't blame God because it was cancer or anything like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, wow, like that's impressive because I, again, don't want to imagine, but to be able to come to that place of like this, this happened because he was 
learning and growing. Yeah, what's interesting is a year before he passed, he had graduated high school and he had a a learning disability. He struggled with reading and writing. So he wasn't enthusiastic about going to college. And he was still trying to figure out what he wanted to do professionally. He had some things, ideas, but he didn't want to get a conventional go work at, you know, the, the, the lumber store kind of job. So he said to his mom and I, he goes, would you give me one year to figure out my life before you put pressure on me? And he lived with his mom, by the way. Time out for a second. I'm going to come back to that. I just want to say my ex-wife had done a phenomenal job raising my children. I give her every Mother's Day, I give her props. Every birthday of the kids, I give her props. Every her birthday, I give her props. She did the Herculean work. And I just want to acknowledge that my children are great kids because of her efforts. Mm. I mean, I have my own efforts too, but I I want to give (laughs) the props there. Um, So when he came to his mom and I to say, hey, will you give me one year to figure out my life? I go, absolutely. No question about it. He lived life to the fullest. He was experimenting and trying things out. He did vacations with his friends. He he wanted to start a t-shirt company. He was like in this mode of just like, he was like, I want to sample life. And he was a bit of a rebel too. There was a rebel, you know, um, James Dean edge to him. In fact, one of the chapters in the book is called uh, Don't F With My Chi. Because Connor had this ability where people just, he, he just had this spirit of him where no one else's issue, someone else's projection of him wasn't his problem. Anyway, to finish my thought, he passed away one year and three days after he told me that. Hmm. And it hit me. His spirit knew he was here for a short journey. He knew, his spirit knew. Like when he said, give me one year, it was like, let me live life to the fullest that I'm capable of and with the, whatever's in my my consciousness. And that's what he did. That so, gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Wow. And that's how I, that's how one of the things that allows me to accept this is that his visit here was a short action film. Some people are long drawn out dramas. Others are like a horror film. And some people are an action adventure and some are a romantic comedy. We all have a different movie in us. Some are going to be a long playing movie like my mom 88 years you know my son was a short one and that's mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. so one more a couple more questions about the book sure um you you talk about the concept of love being alone I actually talk about this a lot with my patients but what do you mean by that yeah in retrospect I wished I retitled it I should love being <laughs> by yourself uh-huh. And the, sometimes the word alone con, connotates loneliness. But what I was wanted in that chapter, what I was really hoping to convey is part of self-love is learning to appreciate who you are by yourself. Most Americans have been conditioned, and I use America because I can't speak for other countries. I can only speak to what I witness here, is we literally we operate from, I need you to love me for me to feel good about myself. Mm -hmm. I need you to love me so I can feel good about myself. We have literally been conditioned that way. So learning to love to be by yourself or alone is learning to love yourself for just who you are. And and now that I've experienced, I've actually now experienced this spending the last, I I haven't been in a significant relationship in three years, partly because my relationship, my previous relationship ended and I lost my mom, I lost my son and, you know, my whole life was being re, reinvented. 
But I began to go, God, I really like who I am as a person. I learned because I did it because I was by myself. And I think it's so important, not only for you to like who you are as a person, it's important, I think, because I know, because you, you are the only one you're ever guaranteed to be with forever. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> to your point, you know, at any point, a partner can leave, people die, yeah. children grow up. Hopefully, they will always love you, but not always the case. Yeah, ain't that the truth. Um, and so, you have to sit with yourself forever. So, if you don't like who that person is, that's going to be, that is what's going to make for a lonely existence. Exactly. And and when we say both like, we mean love at the same time. I mean, there, it's, it's really, um, I think it's one of the most important lessons to learn in life is the ability to actually like and love who you are. What do you think is the first step for people who are struggling? What would you say is the first step to take? to start moving towards self-love? You know, this is a tough one, you know, the first step, because when I look, when I connect the dots backwards, you know, I went through a lot of stuff in my life, you know. I, I, what I encourage in the book, at least this is my suggestion, is to begin a daily practice of personal development, self-help, and spiritual work. And so, and I don't mean just sitting in lotus position and doing om and meditating per se, although that's one thing you can do. Um, I'm a big proponent of, and I say daily, you know, daily work. And that could include reading a book once a day. It could be watching a YouTube video on personal development, self-help, and spiritual work. It could be going to a workshop. It could be working with a therapist. It could be, um, I've done the Hoffman process, which is an amazing inner child uh, workshop of eight days of intense, real intense work. And that's my invitation. That's what I hopefully guide people in the book. Don't wait for, don't wait for losing your job, (laughs) getting a divorce, losing all your money in the marketplace. And certainly don't wait for, I mean, but if that happened, okay, hopefully you do make a change. If you lose a child, hopefully, or God forbid that, I don't even like saying that out loud. Um, start now. It could be simply buying, by the way, it could be my, certainly buying my book, and I'm going to pitch that. Um, <laughs> my favorite book is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. That's yep, me. on my nightstand always. Yeah, I mean, it's sitting right here. It's with me literally where I go, and I, I almost want to, I don't like to characterize Bible. It's an amazing book to really help you learn how to talk to the voices in your head is the way I interpret it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite piece of advice from your book? Uh, oh my God, I have so many. Hmm. But you know, what, you know, the one that popped in my head first was, and partially because I'm a dating relationship coach, uh, one of my chapters, if it's sincere and from the heart, you can never say the wrong thing to the right person. If it's sincere and from the heart, you can never say the wrong thing to the right person. What I mean is, we can always shoot ourselves in the foot when we're talking from unhealthy ego or fear. But mm-hmm. tapping into our heart, when you're, when you're expressing vulnerability, the right person isn't going to run away from it. Mm. And that is something I encourage. Since I work with women and their greatest fear is a guy is going to break up with them because they express vulnerability. And I'm here to say, 
when you're vulnerable from a sincere place, you're not going to lose the right guy. Mm-hmm. Well, if people want to learn more about you, know your book, tell us where they can find you. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank uh, you. This was great. Yeah. Really. So my book is on Amazon. uh, So you can just type in what the heck is self-love anyway. My podcast is called the What Would Love Do podcast, where we explore life, love, and the pursuit of inner peace through the eyes of love. Um, I have a YouTube channel for dating and relationship advice. So I'm on YouTube and then certainly social media as well and my website. Well, great. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I appreciate your time today. You're sharing your beautiful story of your son and his life and his death and your your life as a result of that. So thank oh. you. Well, thank you, Dr. Amy. This has been a lot of fun for me. I really appreciate you. Thanks. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.